The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims God's handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then, I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Fort Street. It's so good to be with you all here today. If you're in person, thank you so much for showing up and joining us here. If you are online on Facebook or on YouTube or whatever various outlets we are broadcasting our stuff to, thank you so much for your time and for your attention. Um, the sun is shining the sun today. <laughs> yes, it is which shining. Which has been a rare thing, especially for Sunday mornings. I know. It might be the first time we've seen the sun in Michigan, right, since we moved? I think so, yeah. <laughs> and we, uh, we have word. It's supposed to be, what, 60 degrees the next few days. Oh. And we've been warned, though, we should not be expecting spring for real. Is this correct? <laughs> Are we just being deceived? Yeah. There's a lot of nodding here. There's a lot okay. of deceit. Okay. Well, we need, to, we need to prepare ourselves mentally because this is our first winter to spring transition here in Michigan. And so oh. as many war- warnings as you can give us, yeah. we appreciate. Thank you. Thank you. All right.
Would you pray with me? Merciful God, how fickle we are, going against your way without even knowing it. Forgive us for worshiping anyone or anything except you. Keep us faithful. Forgive us for failing to honor all our relationships with those who are closest to us and those who are distant neighbors. Help us to speak words of blessing and kindness rather than words that belittle or destroy. Turn us away from violence, falsehood, and selfishness. Forgive us for thinking everything depends on our efforts and power. For you are the God who made us, led us out of slavery, and has brought us into the community of faith. Help us to depend on you alone and to rest in your peace. Hear us now as we confess our hearts silently before you. Friends, in Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again, we are forgiven and set free for a purpose. Set free to live in faithfulness with God and with one another. Thanks be to God. from 1st Corinthians chapter 1 verses 18 through 25. Listen for God's word. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Amen. So, I have a question. Does anyone remember the story of David and Goliath? Yeah-ish? Yeah. Can you summarize maybe what happened a little bit if you're, if you're comfortable? There's this giant Goliath, right? Yeah, he's like nine feet tall, right? And there's this little guy, David, who's like, how tall you think, like, short, five feet, maybe, five and a half feet. Yeah, he took a slingshot to Goliath and actually ends up winning, spoiler alert. Um, so I, I want to tell you kind of that whole story, though, because there are parts of the story that are really important that we, we always leave out, you know. So th the story goes that Goliath and the Philistine army are taunting the Israelites, and they know that they're a bigger, badder army. They know that they can really clean house with these Israelites, and it's, it's going to be no problem. But they sort of concede, and they say, listen, if you can beat our best warrior, 
Goliath, this nine-foot giant, that no one's ever been able to beat. If you can beat him, we will surrender, and then the war will be over, and we'll save a lot of lives this way. Well, they couldn't find any Israelites that were willing to go because Goliath was just, you know, beating them back one by one, and it was, it was no contest. Well, David, this boy at the time, catches wind of this, and he hears that this Goliath is taunting the Israelites, and he does not want this to happen anymore. So he goes to the people and he says, I'll fight Goliath. And word gets back to the king, King Saul, and Saul hears that this child essentially wants to fight this giant. And he says, well, bring him to me. I want to see him. And Saul questions him for a while and decides, okay, well, if, if the boy wants to fight Goliath, I guess let him do it. Let's bring him some armor. And so Saul brings out this armor and I don't know if you've ever seen armor. If you go to the Detroit Institute of Arts right now, they have a pretty nice armor collection that they're showing, but it, it's really big. Have you seen armor, Henry? Yeah, you have armor? No, but oh, in Minecraft. I see. Yeah, yeah. I don't play Minecraft, but I've heard of it. <laughs> it's, yeah, so in Minecraft, you have lots of armor, right? And armor protects you from your enemies. And so King Saul gave to David this set of armor, but David was so small that the armor <laughs> hung loosely on him, and it was so, so heavy. And you know what he did next? What do you, what do you think he did, Henry? That's right. Yeah, arm, yeah armor can protect you from zombies, skeletons, really any general evil thing, right? Well, David got this armor, and he wore it, but it was so heavy, he decided, I'm going to take that off. And then King Saul gave him a sword, and he said, I, I really don't need a sword. And everyone in his, you know, his people, they were thinking, you're crazy. You lost your mind. You're going to go fight a giant with no armor, no sword, no shield, <laughs> and you think you're going to win. And I wonder why David took off the armor. Why do, you, why do you think he did that, Henry? Why would you take off the armor? Yeah, maybe he just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe God just gave him the idea, right? Yeah, go ahead. He trusted God, yeah, and I, I think, too, he knew he was actually stronger even though he was weaker, right? He knew that if he could move a little bit better, he could throw his sling. There's a really important lesson in there for us, and that is sometimes when we feel weak, when we feel vulnerable, when we feel like we need to protect ourselves, it's actually it's not the best thing for us to do. Sometimes we have to open ourselves up we have to be willing to be hurt, and actually we find strength in that. Let's pray. God, thank you for the story of David and Goliath. And God, thank you for David's trust of you. God, thank you for these old, old stories. I pray that you would continue to send your wisdom through them to us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Our scripture today comes to us from John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. Listen now for the word of the Lord. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, 
disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus's courage, and in some ways, God, thank you for his foolishness. God, I pray that whatever words we would hear this morning would come from you, that we would gain your wisdom and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. So I got to tell you all about my my first girlfriend, all right? And I'm I'm sharing this, and I, I hope you won't make fun of me in the future for what I'm about to share. My first girlfriend, let's call her Sadie Hawkins, all right, just, just for fun. Sadie and I met in sixth grade, and it, sixth grade was kind of a, a different year for many reasons, but one of the reasons was we had four elementary schools in our school system, and during sixth grade, all four elementary schools pulled into one giant middle school, so you got to meet people that you never knew, people you had never seen. It was a whole new world. Sadie Hawkins was one of those people that I met. And I thought Sadie was cute from the, from the moment I saw her. I was like, oh, I've got to talk to her. I have to find a way to go out with her. Whatever, whatever I can do to get near Sadie, that's what I want to do. Well, my time came one Friday evening at uh, the local roller rink. And we, we would have a series of parties at the roller rink. And, you know, all of us awkward middle schoolers would just sort of, you know, skate around in a circle and every now and then do some goofy things, but mostly just skating in circles. The time came that night for uh, a slow skate, and my friend Morgan noticed that I wasn't skating with anyone, and she had some knowledge that I didn't even know, that Sadie actually thought I was cute. Now, this, this came as a surprise to me because sixth grade Garrett uh, still had red hair, mind you, and I had some insecurities about that. Sixth grade Garrett had recently gotten braces, which, you know, was not a great thing that temporarily, short term. And, and I also had recently gotten glasses. So my, my entire appearance had changed, and I had insecurity upon insecurity about my own identity. But to find out that Sadie Hawkins was into me, I was like, oh, this is, this is the work of the Lord in my life, I thought. So Morgan comes to me and says, hey, would you want to skate with Katie? And I said, of, of course. So she runs interference for me and goes and tells Katie, well, I, I didn't get around to it during that first slow skate, but the last slow skate of the night, when they actually do like three different songs, I knew that my time was coming. So they started playing Truly Madly Deeply by Savage Garden. Does anyone remember that song? You, you got to go look that up. That's a, that's a, I think, early 2000s hit that, you need to hear. Uh, but it, it was a classic slow song. Well, when that song started playing, I looked around for Sadie, and Sadie's across the rink, and I make eye contact with her, and then I just freeze. And I'm like, you know, my knees are locked. I'm like, there's no, there's no way I'm skating all the way around <laughs> to go ask her to do this. I had never even really talked to her, mind you. So she sees me, I see her, I don't move, I'm stiff as a board. She comes around the rink, comes up, grabs my hand, and sort of like drags me onto the roller rink, okay? And again, I'm on cloud nine. This whole song, I still listen to Savage Garden sometimes just for nostalgia, not Sarah because I'm still in love with Sadie Hawkins, all right, but just because it brings up that time. And they played a few more songs. I'm, I'm not going to remember which ones they were, but... I had time in my life, and I remember going home that night telling my mom, like, yeah, I slow skated with Sadie and blah, blah, blah. Well, Monday comes around, we're back at school, and Morgan, my friend, comes up to me and says, hey, do you want to go out with Sadie? And I was like, oh my goodness, this, this is, at 4th Street, we call that a God job, right? So for 6th grade Garrett, I'm like, this is, this is the spirit, oh my goodness, I'm so, so happy. So I say, yes. And I go about my week. Friday comes along, and Sadie comes up to my locker, and she hands me a note, and she's kind of crying. And I'm thinking, what? 
what is going on here? So my next class, it was math class, I'm reading the note, and she's outlining all the reasons that she's breaking up with me now four or five days later. And, and the number two reasons were I never called her that week, and I never stopped by her locker to talk to her. In fact, I don't think I spoke more than like two or three words to her because I was so, so nervous. That was my first girlfriend. Everybody plays the fool sometimes, right? There's no exception to the rules. It may be factual, as the song goes. It may be cruel, but everybody plays the fool. You know, Jesus actually plays a fool in our scripture today. And I, and I had to be very careful using that language because I thought I'm, I might offend some people, but please stay with me till the end because I, I, I think you'll hear what I'm trying to say. So it, it's the Passover of the Jews, it says in the text. And Passover was this high religious holiday where um, people from all over the region would come to celebrate this holiday. And, and they weren't necessarily native to Jerusalem, but they wanted to travel. They were making pilgrimage. Now, in order to celebrate the Passover, you would often have to provide a sacrifice or you'd have to provide an offering. And that required grain. It required animals. It required a lot of things. Well, if you're traveling from a distant land, it's much easier just to bring money so that you can buy your sacrifice or your offering than it is to try to drive a couple head of cattle, you know, however many miles, along with everything else that you have. And so the temple system had sort of evolved to take on these pilgrimages. But they had also, in the process of their evolution and their growth, sort of become corrupt, Jesus would say. And you might ask, well, how, how were they corrupt? And, I, and I'm going to try to reconstruct this for you the best, the best that I can. So if you were going to travel, take a pilgrimage to celebrate the Passover, and you were not bringing your own livestock, what you would do is you would show up at the temple and you would have your own currency, whatever currency you used in whatever region you were from. And you'd show up at the temple and you would actually have to change your money out for the temple currency. Now, there's a couple diverging viewpoints on this that I couldn't get a straight answer on. Um, one sort of school of thought is that the temple had its own currency. It printed its own money so that you had to change into that temple currency and, and use it. I think it was more likely there were currencies, plural, that the temple accepted and did not accept, whatever was beneficial for it. Either way, you had to change your money out before you spent any money at the temple. And so what the money changers at the temple would do is they would charge a premium. It's kind of like a convenience fee for getting this different kind of money, right? And uh, I, I remember, I think it was Ticketmaster recently got sued over this, charging a convenience fee for their tickets. I think I got like $5 out of that settlement. That's, that's the only reason I know that. But um, you would have to change your money out, and they were making quite a bit of profit by doing this because they determined which currencies they used and they determined the rate at which they would exchange those currencies, right? It's pretty interesting. So that's, that's step one. Well, now that you have your temple currency, you've got to get your offering. You have to get your sacrifice. You've got to buy some livestock. And the temple, I think if you were to ask Jesus, was charging maybe a little bit too much for a head of cattle or a sheep, or even two little doves. And this makes him angry because not only is the temple trying to make money by exchanging money, but now they're making money on the sacrifices that people want to make. And for Jesus, I think if you were to ask him, this is not what the temple's for, right? The temple is actually for the benefit of the community, and it's, a, um, it's an institution that was established to redistribute wealth from one portion of the population to the other to make sure that, and I think it says this in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy somewhere, to make sure that no one had too much and no one had too little. This is not what's happening when Jesus goes to the Passover here. In fact, what he sees is that people are making stacks and stacks of money and other people are going without. And so, he kind of acts a fool, we might say. 
The text says that he, he made a whip of cords, and we can kind of gloss over that really quickly and not stop on it, but the fact that John takes enough time to tell us that he made this means that this was sort of premeditated. He's been thinking about this. He has been sort of looking at the temple, noticing its trends, and saying, hey, this is not right. So he makes a whip of cords. And then it doesn't say that he took, you know, a band of his disciples and they stormed the temple. It says he went. And he went alone. And he starts driving people out with this whip of cords. He starts driving the livestock out. He's taking bags of money and dumping it on the ground. He's flipping tables. And I want to say that's pretty foolish because, you know, this is right at the beginning. For John, it's at the beginning. For the other gospel writers, it it comes at the end sort of as this uh, climax of Jesus' life. But here in the beginning of the gospel of John, Jesus goes to the temple alone, causes a scene, and now suddenly the spotlight's on him, right? It's pretty foolish. It's a really easy way to get yourself killed. I mean, when you get to the end of the Gospel of John, it, it shouldn't be any wonder that there are groups of people that want Jesus to go away. Everybody plays the fool sometimes. Did anyone get a chance to listen to that song this week? I know we, we put it out on our, I'm told we put it out on our social media. And I, I had a few of you asking, what do you know about that song? What do you know? And I, you know, I'm going to say I, I don't know much. I was reminded this morning that it's Cuba Gooding Sr. who sings, um, that, who's on the vocals in that. And actually, I, I knew that, but I didn't know it until I was reminded. Um, everybody plays the fool. There's a lot of wisdom in that phrase. What I love about Paul throughout all of his letters and also kind of what I hate about Paul is that he just kind of says the thing very plainly for you. And as a pastor, if you notice that I don't preach on Paul a lot, it's because I I find it very difficult actually because he just kind of like says it for you, right? What does he say here? It's something like, you know, the, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us that are being saved, it's strength. And that, you know, it kind of makes sense, it kind of doesn't make sense, but he just kind of says it plainly, and it's like, oh, yeah, I guess that's it. He doesn't couch it in story. He doesn't really give you many parables. He just kind of says it. The weakness of God is stronger than human wisdom, Paul says. And we might ask, what is the weakness of God? And I think it has something to do with God becoming human and willingly going to the cross, willingly going into the temple to be a little foolish for the sake of those that were hurting. Everybody plays the fool sometimes. The song, if you're thinking I'm not necessarily exegeting it that correctly, the song is really about love, right? And there's this great line, I think, that sums it up well. It's something like, there's no guarantee that the one you love is going to love you, right? Everybody plays the fool. And what they're trying to say is that, you know, I think they're actually trying to cheer someone up. If you read through all the lyrics, they're, they're trying to say, look, don't, don't get down. Don't be so sad. Everybody goes through this. There's no guarantee that whoever you fall in love with is going to fall in love with you. And that that's just kind of humanity. That's, that's a risk we take. That's, that's what we go through in life. And actually, that's okay. And I think what the main ingredient are trying to say is they're trying to say we've got to accept that. And it can't stop you from behaving and acting on that love that you have just because you're afraid of playing the fool because, hey, everyone does that sometimes, right? They're asking us to be vulnerable, They're asking us to embrace weakness in some ways. Now, I'm going to share another story about my current girlfriend, okay? And I just want to say from the outset, there are uh, some contentious points of fact in this story that I'm going to share, and I'm just going to ask my lovely wife to let me elaborate 
If you would like her side of this story afterward, you can meet her in the narthex. I'm sure she'd like to share it, but uh, for today, the Lord has offered me the pulpit, and I will be sharing my, my half of this, all right? This is my truth. I met Sarah in preaching class in seminary, which is so stereotypically, like, pastor-like that it, it almost makes me cringe to say that. But we met in preaching class, and I, I sort of had an, an immediate reaction, like, oh, yeah, I, she seems really great. I'd like to talk to her and get to know her, but I did the Sadie Hawkins thing where I just sort of froze up, and I, I, didn't, I didn't know what to do. So we were in the same cohort of preachers that were evaluating one another's sermons, and just a side note on this, Sarah thought my sermons were very boring in that class, and she, she let me know that almost right away. So after class one day, I was walking down the stairs, and I felt someone tap me on the shoulder, and was Sarah, and I turned around, and I was sort of delightfully surprised, and she was like, hey, you said that you lived in Colorado, and I did. I, I mentioned that in my sermon. She said she was from Colorado, and then we had all of these mutual connections, and there was a spark, you know, and I said to her something like, well, we should get coffee and talk about it sometime, and she said, that'd be great. Let's do it. So we got coffee, and then we got dinner a couple times, and the love began to grow and evolve. Well, we were entering our last year of seminary, and we really weren't um, dating, dating, but we were hanging out a lot. And, you know, we had a, we had a mutual friend group that extended just beyond us, so it, it was fine. And we, we were seeing a lot of each other, but my feelings were really growing, but time was sort of of the essence, if you know what I mean. And I, and I knew kind of had to make a choice. I'm, I'm, I'm either going to tell this woman exactly how I feel about her, or I'm going to regret it for like four or five years, right? Uh, and, and I say four or five, not because she's not worth a lifetime of regret, but you know, you get over these things, you move on. I, so I thought, I'm going to go through five hard years of regretting not talking to her, or I can just share my feelings. Well, to add some complications to the story, I had actually already taken a job out west, and I knew I was leaving, I knew where I was going, and, but I still felt that pressure to definitely say how I felt. So I'm on the plane ride home, and, and I really did kind of have this epiphany, like, if I don't say something to her, I, I will have this deep regret. So as soon as we got back, we had dinner, and um, I think we were at her apartment. We cooked this, like, salad, and we were having a little bit of wine, and um, about halfway through the meal, I said, look, I, I got to talk to you about something. And I, look, I had not rehearsed this. I practice my sermons before I give them. Any other meeting I have to run, I usually practice. I did not practice this. I just was whatever came out. So I, I know I told her, you know, my feelings for you have evolved and grown. Um, and, and I want you to know I'd like this to be more than just friendship. And, you know, there were more words than that. I think it was very, very elegant. I just can't remember those words right now. Um, but I'll never forget, she looked at me in the eye, and this is a very contentious point, so ask her her side. She looked at me, and she said, thank you, would you like more wine? <laughs> she did not say another word about it. After that, she just said, I'll, I'll need some time. So, <laughs> it's very contentious. It's very contentious history. So, <laughs> you, you, you all know how the story ends, but I'll, I'll just give you a little bit more. So, she got really sick, and we had our ordination exams the, the week right after that. And Presbyterian church uh, ordination exams are uh, legendary for how brutal they can be. And um, it, it takes up about two weeks of your life, and you'll never get them back. But she was going through that, and she got really sick. So we didn't talk for like four weeks. And, and I'm not even, I think it was like three or four weeks, but I was terrified. And I knew that I had sort of played the fool. I knew she wasn't going to say yes. I, what's she going to do, follow me out west, and we're just going to start our life together like that? Like, I, I didn't expect much, but I, I felt good sharing my feelings. And I knew that I had done the thing that I needed to do. And, you know, I, I didn't know what would happen, but it turned out okay, I guess. Everybody plays the fool sometimes. There's no exception to the rules. 
You know, all we're really talking about here is the need to make ourselves vulnerable. And we don't live in a society that necessarily supports that. We are taught to be strong. We are taught to not flinch. We are taught to control things, to command. We are not taught to be vulnerable. We're not taught to share our weakness. We're not, <laughs> we're not taught to even think that weakness could ever be a virtue in any universe, right? This is not something that we do as Americans. But to be vulnerable, to show our weakness, or what Paul might call the strength of God, we have to trust wildly. We've got to put ourselves out there. We have to try new things and fail. We have to aim high. And we kind of have to accept the world as it is, don't we? Even now, we're, we're at a time in our history as Americans where, like, we're wearing masks, we're social distancing, we're protecting because we want to stay strong. And, and, and I think that that's good. I don't want us to interpret vulnerability as, like, let's all not wear our masks and have a giant party. There's something about our emotions, about our insides, that we need to be a little more vulnerable with. We have to open ourselves to feelings like sadness, feelings like shame, helplessness, anger, embarrassment. I don't think I dated anyone for like five years after my whole Sadie Hawkins experience because I was, I was so terrified. I closed my heart off. There's this great passage in, in Ezekiel where God says to God's people, I want to give you a heart of flesh. I want to replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh because I want you to have a heart that beats. I want you to have a heart that's capable of breaking. I want you to feel. A lot of us, we don't want to feel, though. We want to be like Pharaoh in Egypt. You remember what happened to him for... For so long, he kept hardening his heart and protecting himself against God and Moses and God's people that pretty soon his, his heart was pure stone and he couldn't change. And God comes back later and says, no, I, I want you to have a heart of flesh. Or it's like that story we shared during the time for a child inside all of us. David going to face this Goliath and he takes off his armor to go fight. He lays down his sword to go fight. He puts away the shield. He becomes weak. He becomes very, very vulnerable. But in that, he becomes strong. Let's pray. God, help us to open ourselves to what I think are terrible feelings. Help us to deal with the sadness, the shame, helplessness, anger, embarrassment, disappointment. God, help us to expose ourselves to the world and all its suffering. And God, in that, help us to see that it's okay to play the fool. And that God, actually, there's a lot of strength to embracing that role. In Jesus' name, amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And great.
Let's go to God in prayer. Gracious God, whose power is made perfect in weakness, whose wisdom appears as foolishness in this world, we thank you for the scandal of the cross. In Jesus Christ, you overturn all our usual ways of behaving and believing. Do not let your church become content or contained as an institution, God. Raise to ruins what is distorted in us and raise us to new life as a community so that we may be the body of Christ in and for the world. God, we pray today for all of the people and the situations on our hearts. Today we lift up the Brinkley family, the Henderson family, the Thomases, and the Grahams. Lord, for so many other people and situations on our hearts, meet us. Be with us each step of the way, granting your healing, your peace, and your presence where they are needed most. God, we pray for those who are ill in mind, body, or spirit, for those lonely and isolated from community, for those burdened by guilt or grief, by depression or despair. God, we pray today for healing and reconciliation where trust has been broken, hostility has flared, or misunderstanding has grown. Restore us not only to one another, but reconcile us to ourselves and to you, loving God. Send us out in love, with open eyes, ears, and hearts. Make us true neighbors to one another and true children of your calling. God, we pray these things today in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
We have just a few announcements to share with you before we end our time today. And I'll start by saying Garrett is right. There are two versions to <laughs> that story. Garrett shared his version of how our love story began. And I have my own that makes me sound a little less cold hearted. <laughs> I did not just say thank you when oh, he shared okay. his feelings. All right. But the pulpit is not <laughs> the place for that argument. So my version will be offered for free That's later. Good. I am really excited about some of the things that we have coming up here at Fort Street. For one, we are still in the midst of Lent. We're actually at the halfway point now from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday. And this morning in adult education, we had a great opportunity to reflect on this Lenten process. Some of you all have joined the journey with us of writing through with Peter. We are copying down the words of First and Second Peter, those letters in the New Testament, each day four or five verses as an opportunity to really slow down and to hear those words. It is a practice that you are welcome to join in, even if you haven't started. You're not too late. It is okay to start wherever you are and whenever you are. It's a great practice that I have really gained a lot from, and so join us for that if you'd like to. We had wonderful conversation about some of the controversial topics that show up in this first letter of Peter's, but we do invite you to join us for that or however you are practicing Lent on your own. We have a couple new things coming up for adult education that we want you to know about. For the next three Sundays, we'll be taking a deep dive into the last week of Jesus. We'll be doing a Bible study on some of the events that took place leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. First, we will start with the story we read today about Jesus cleansing the temple. Though we'll be looking at Mark's version instead of John's. So that's next week, and then we'll look at the garden and we'll look at the trials of Jesus. So join us for that 9.30 on Zoom. We also have something called Films at Fort Street coming up, and this is a three-part documentary discussion series. This will be taking place on Thursday evenings, one a month for the next three months, and so we'll be inviting you to watch three different documentaries and then to join us on these Thursday nights for discussion about them. The three documentaries are related to the topics of Matthew 25, the initiative that we have taken on as a church to eradicate, which one is eradicate? Systemic, Systemic poverty. poverty and to dismantle structural racism and to build congregational vitality. So each of the months will have a documentary related to one of those. There are some incredible documentaries and then we'll invite you to share in discussion about it. So look for details on that and please join us. Awesome. So this is a reminder for all of those that have missed church in prior years because of daylight savings. This is your warning, all right? <laughs> also, your cell phone should do this for you, but if it doesn't, uh, next week is daylight, and it's on Saturday night, right? Yep. They always do it then. So next week is daylight savings. Make sure you set your clocks. Um, yeah. So this year, if they missed it, they would show up early or late? Late, because we spring ahead. Late, spring ahead, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So daylight savings next week. Uh, just so you all know, we are back in person. So if you want to come to worship, um, you are always invited to come. We just need you to register. So if you can register online before, it makes the entry process a little easier. If you need to register when you get here, that's fine too. We can totally, totally do that. But we are up to allowing 50 people in our huge sanctuary, and we can do so in a very socially distant and safe way. So, yeah, 50 people, and we'd love to see um, some more of you here. We have coffee hour following worship today just for our virtual guests, so if you are watching online on Facebook, uh, wherever you are, uh, stick around, click on the Zoom link that I'm sure Amy is dropping into the comments right now. Uh, you can follow that, and uh, yeah, there'll be a little time for coffee hour and for fellowship. I think those are all of the announcements, right? So. That was a lot of them. <laughs> Friends, as you go, may you know that the weakness of God is actually strength. May you know that vulnerability is not a bad thing. It actually, there's a lot of wisdom to be gained in it. May you know, too, that God sees you. May you know that God is smiling down upon you, and may you know that you are loved and that your life truly matters. Amen. Amen.